0: Well, Pascal, back in 1979, we saw Mad Max, quite an exciting road movie, followed a couple of years later by Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, Mel Gibson, of course, starring in those probably relatively low-budget films, but actually took the world by storm, if I remember rightly. And then in 1985, uh, a bit of a, uh, a budget increase for the third <laughs> of the films, Mad Max 3 Beyond the Thunderdome, with Tina Turner mm. wearing quite a lot of chainmail, if I remember rightly, and people bouncing around inside a dome. Three very good films, three very good films. And then... In 2015 along came the sequel we never knew we needed and that is Mad Max Fury Road and that's what we're going to talk about
1: today. Can you remember this one? Oh do you know I reckon that in 2015 this was the movie I was most excited to see. I mean I've been caught by by the marketing and we're going to talk about it in a moment but I just felt excited about you know the, the all of the anticipation and going to the, to the movies um, and after that I just couldn't wait to own the blu-ray because I couldn't quite believe what I had just seen what my eyes and ears had been exposed to for the better part of two hours <laughs> yeah i mean it was just relentless wasn't it as soon
0: as it started for the, in, almost the entire duration of the film, there wasn't a moment. And I think I may have said this about Speed, which we reviewed a few episodes back. That's another film that felt a bit like this. But this one genuinely almost needed to have captions come up on the screen every 30 seconds saying, remember to breathe or something like that. Because I did find myself, you know, it was just so relentless and so exciting and so in your face, special effects, jump cuts, editing, just absolutely incredible incredible, pushing you forward, never letting you rest, Uh, you know, a visual and audio audio spectacle of like no, no other. And I'm sure that I read that it was voted by many people as one of the best action movies of the, that 10
1: year period, or at least of 2015. I'm not surprised at all. I think you're right. It was a spectacle. And also, it was outrageous. I mean, some of the cast and some of the vehicles, the way they were shaped, the design, the use of the color in that Namibian desert and um, desert, sorry, not desert that's probably because we're approaching uh, <laughs> food time. But it's also, you know, I remember thinking you could pose the movie at any time and. And frame this and put it on your wall because it was such um, you know, visually so arresting really and in- interesting and what I liked about it as well is to your point it was so well filmed and so well edited that you could keep up with it because the, the action was relentless but it was so well framed and so essentially kind to the audience despite the pace that it wasn't like some of those action movies sometimes Roger where the camera is shaking and they cut so rapidly that you, you just don't know what's happened but you have a feeling that something has happened you could literally watch and see plainly what they were trying to share with you and and the different characters and there were some really horrible characters. there was obviously some some much nicer one and, and also this sense of real dread of if this doesn't go well, uh, this is not going to you know be good for the, the characters that I'm supporting here yeah I mean the editing part that you just mentioned there
0: I, I I did a little bit of research into the film before we came on online and one of the things that it, the the editing is absolutely astonishing the number of cuts between angles and between scenes per minute in this film is one of the highest ever in film history apparently, but beyond that. I mean, the film was shot, as most films are, and you know more about the technicalities of this than I do, but the film was shot 24 frames per second. But they edited it because sometimes certain shots, they didn't think 24 frames mm. a second was actually, that was there was too many. So they would actually reduce the number of frames per second for some shots just to either... Sp- I'd the make it feel as if it was faster so that maybe there was a bit more motion blur or something like that, but the, the editing was so
1: pinpoint precise that you could almost say it was obsessive. Yeah, I think they, they worked at all levels. They worked on the, on the color, they worked on the costume, they work on the, the scene setting, the characters, I mean what they wear, the way they look. I mean some of them are, have been defaced literally by special effects. others so look look all right. But for me, back to what you were saying, this sequel that we never knew we needed, I was happy with the uh, original Max Maxology. in fact I own you know the three films and I've watched them regularly. Interestingly, I remember in 1979, my dad went to see it at the movies without me. I was only 10 then, so you can understand that. I remember being quite upset because, of course, it was making the, the, the headline Mad Max, you know, that kind of indie Australian film that uh, you had to be over the age of 16, which is unheard of in France. We didn't have the kind of uh, the strict regime that you had maybe in the UK with uh, classification. I think I probably saw Road Warrior in the VHS. So the first time I went to the movies with my dad and my siblings was to see uh, Beyond the Thunderdome. So fond memories of Mad Max as a kind of um, post-apocalyptic and uh, techno noir, you know, uh, style. And then out of nowhere, but that makes sense, you know, kind of 30 years after Beyond the Thunderdome, we hear about Mad Max Fury Road and we're like, okay, why not? First, we we're a bit upset because Mel Gibson is not in it, but then we see the first visuals, and I don't know about you, but I got so excited.
0: Yeah, and and you know, as you say, all those incredible cars and wagons and <laughs> tanks and what I don't you can't even describe them as cars and wagons and tanks, can't vehicles, uh, incredible vehicles, but. What I hadn't realised, and you, you said 30 years between Thunderdome and Fury Road, but they actually did start planning this in 1997. Oh, really? And I believe, yeah, and I believe that, you know, some of the vehicles that appeared in Fury Road were actually built as early as 2003. So this film really took a long time to put together, and maybe that's why it comes across as so incredibly detailed on screen, because they didn't just put this together in 18 months you know it was years and years and years in the writing in the creation of the vehicles in the creation of the script and and, and all of that sort of thing so yes there might have been 25 years between the actual releases of the films but there certainly wasn't tw- 25 years of inactivity in between
1: isn't that incredible for george miller the um the director to to kind of stay on the project and that's the life of a content creator i'm sure that at our yeah. level we have things that are quite not quite there yet and wanted that they'll that, come to life uh, i think for me that that was also part of the excitement when i discovered through the the press releases and so on that george man the original director was going, was working on it and of course he would put together a great crew around the, the production um the, I think the announcement once it was revealed as part of the teasers that the bad guy with the original bad guy of the first Mad Max. So you had also with the nostalgia. Of course, I would argue, Roger, that you can watch Mad Max Fury Road on its own without having seen the first three. And that's still a, a, well, I think you'd be blown away. Yeah, absolutely. And
0: yeah, I think it is definitely a standard. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure if I think back, I, I think I saw Mad Max 2 mm. First, I I think I then went back after many years when I got a bit older, perhaps, and watched Mad Max the original, uh, and then Thunderdome. So yeah, I, I definitely agree. It's, it's a standalone movie, and it makes sense, and it, you don't need to know the back history. Uh, it, it it's it's definitely one of those films where you you know it treats both audiences with the with the equal amount of respect that they deserve, and so so. We obviously like the film. And, <laughs> do we? Uh, <laughs> do you think we've got a message? <laughs> yeah, we obviously like the film, and, and it's
1: likely I might watch it again tonight or mm. tomorrow. But w- w- what about the marketing? Okay, well, you know, we've done the research. What we're going to do for our viewers and listeners is go through the chronology so we don't miss anything. Uh, but also, if we do have missed something, do get in touch and we make sure that we add that into future episodes. So, uh, as I mentioned a moment ago, um, I think when the teasers went down, which was essentially just still photography, and they made the covers of movie magazines like Empire and Entertainment Weekly, I think in general people were not impressed because, again, nobody's asked for the sequel, and of course we realized that it was Mel Gibson um, in the, uh, the main role. It was Tom Hardy. Um, but then again, if you'd seen previous efforts from Tom Hardy, there shouldn't be a, a concern. But so uh, I think people just went a little mad uh, on social for all the wrong reasons uh, uh, in, in June 2014. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I,
0: can, I can understand that. But then there was the first trailer which they put out at uh, San Diego Comic-Con, and people met, went
1: mad again because <laughs> then they saw how, oh, my God, this is actually going to be pretty good. I mean, that was the summer 2014, which is um, interesting why they're going to do this year with the Comic-Con because it was canceled last year. They're trying to do it online. It didn't really work, so perhaps they a lesson. But for, for fans, of course, it was San Diego. Then within days, it was on YouTube. And I watched it so many times thinking, what am I seeing here? Because even then you had already some of the the scene with the car chase sequence you had also. Do you remember that scene where people are on those poles that are kind of yes. swinging back and forth up and down to try and capture some of the um, some of the ladies that uh, Man Max uh, and um, Charlene Theron is actually trying to protect? And I was thinking, what have I just seen here? And if this is just a trailer, I want to see this. Of course, we had to wait nearly a year for that. But yeah, that was, that was good fun and there was a lot of social media activity uh, inviting <laughs> fans
0: to unlock exclusive content um, and, and of course by doing that they're creating more anticipation and more excitement about what ultimately is going to get
1: released yeah I mean they did that well I think it would be a, a bit of a dated practice now in 2020-2021 but this idea of uh, here's a still photography or a strange message if you want to see what's behind it like comment and share uh, I think it was of its time and, and I think in a context of a film release i think it's absolutely fine to have that kind of gamification but then by then what um really happened after that was um you know a few months later by spring 2015 we get the let's say, the proper trailer, the one that reveals the storyline and also the release of the posters. And much to our surprise, Man Max it may be the title, the typography, but the main character is that of Salish Theron, um, known later on, as we'll know, as uh, Imperator Furiosa. And I thought it was such a clever move to put, actually, a lead character that was a, uh, a woman yeah, and and there's quite a few women in the film, isn't she? Mm. I mean, uh,
0: she effectively rescues a whole group of of wives of the baddie, I guess, and 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 spirits them all off into the desert, and that's what creates this gigantic vehicle chase that goes on for the the majority of the film. Uh, but I, I, again, I think it, it it's inclusive of of all age groups and and
1: all, and all. And all um, just everybody can can enjoy this film. Indeed and so you know when you get the, the Blu-ray when you get look at the poster and so on sh- she is first and and Max is is behind her because indeed yeah. the way the movie is summarized it's about her and her attempt to essentially escape from you know the the ruler and um, that um, she gets help from the drifter named Max. Yeah, yeah. Now what I hadn't realized Pascal and and of
0: course the other things that they did was that there was a a load of artwork mm. put out yeah, yeah. um you know the film had its world premiere may 2015 all the usual places mm-hmm. uh, can film festival came out on blu-ray and i remember we bought the blu-ray the day it came out <laughs> but what i hadn't realized until i was doing some research for the film today was that in October 2016 they actually released a black and white version of the film and the director has been since on record as saying that the black and white version in his mind is the definitive version so I'm actually quite intrigued to because it's such a colourful film anyway and the special effects are amazing you know I, I just can't think of of watching it in black and white but I'll take his word that there must be obviously something special about the black and white version.
1: Yeah, because I'll be honest with you, Roger, I thought originally that was a marketing ploy to get more money out of me, Mm -hmm. the same Mm -hmm. way uh, other movies have done that, you know, where you you can. Now, so usually they add the black and white version, but when mm-hmm. Logan came out, remember the Logan, the, the last um, yeah, yeah. Wolverine movie? Um, yeah. You could then get the black and chrome, it's called, or black and white version. And, and other movies have done that. So I thought it was just a, um, a ploy. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I, I will confess, however, Roger, I am very fond of black and white in terms of a movie. But, I've, but then to hear that actually George Miller had wished for the movie to be released in black and white on the big screen, like you, I was thinking, oh my goodness, and you'd have missed all that beauty, beautiful landscape and and the colours. That would have been very, very interesting indeed.
0: Yeah, and there was some viral marketing (laughs) stuff going on as well, wasn't there? Um, You know, um, I believe that in Toronto they had a dusty car wash where people were actually allowed to have their own vehicles given... The Mad Max treatment. Now, I think that just involved having them covered in dirt and and a few stencils. Didn't start trashing them and blowing them up and and (laughs) carving them up into pieces. But uh, you can imagine that that must have created quite a lot of social media uh, photo opportunities. So, so again, it's it's getting people involved. I just these these are
1: these are good times to market a film because you can be inventive like this because of the distribution of the content. I I must confess, I don't know where I've gone for this one because if there is one chore in life that I hate is washing cars. So (laughs) the idea of having my car covered in dust with just the bits that says Mad Max coming soon on on the the passenger doors and so on, then having to wash my car afterwards. Um, But then again, uh, perhaps over there it's fine. The one that they did which to be expected is whenever there was a a special premiere, they did try and bring um, props, you could call them, from the movies. So uh, one of uh, Max's... uh, Mad Max's car was uh, in display in Sydney outside, obviously the main uh, theatre there, and they had some of the War Boys, you know, some of the uh, the buddies uh, stood, and people could take pictures with them and then put them on on social media. So I think there was a lot of. Um, very simple concept but that went viral i think for me the one that I'm, I'm i'm sent to pick up more and more now roger is also youtube and its power and its influence really in promoting a film because what george miller did very cleverly or maybe we just he um, didn't get engaged in that conversation people kept, kept asking him is it a sequel or, or, or is it a reboot And he never really answered. I think he said something one day, a bit of both. I'm not sure. So, of course, fans of the film, young and old, spent days and days and hours and hours on YouTube arguing whether or not it was a sequel and a reboot in a process actually probably promoting, of course, the original work from George Miller as well. I guess when I think about it, it could be either. Mm.
0: But the actual reality is, I don't care because it was just a bloody good movie, um, a bloody good movie. And and I believe that you know that the marketing of it continues to this day. In in last year, Charlize Theron actually did a special socially distanced drive-in screening of the film wow. to raise to raise funds for her charity. You know, the Charlize Theron. Uh, Africa outreach project so again five years down the line they're still using the film and its visuals
1: it's and, perfect uh, its, it's, it's impeccable timing now if you think about it so that would have been in its own right a five-year anniversary and because mm-hmm. it, it was filmed in Namibia and all the part of Africa you know that would have been a wonderful time for her effort with the outreach project but that means that this year we're also seeing the 30th anniversary of the Road Warrior yeah, because that, that yeah. was published, um, issued in well released in in nineteen eighty one, um, so I reckon this is a character that is going to come back either through re-releasing or through re, uh, re-screening uh, and uh, special events and so on. But for me, what what is interesting is this day of patience. So to, to what you're describing is George Miller wanted to do something like Fury Road since 1997 and he's been storyboarding he's been working he's been talking about it and so on and actually produced a, uh, a result in terms of this film 2015 that is simply outstanding absolutely and I really don't think there's anything else that I can say
0: <laughs> to, to actually top that uh, that uh, ending there, Pascal. A uh, superb movie, and I'm definitely going to be re-watching it yeah, soon. Yeah, likewise. E- e- even if I just go into the settings on the TV and turn it down and watch it in black and white, rather than actually going out and buying the black and white, even though I know they'll have tinkered with the visual to make the black and white version more than just turning the mm. the colour off on your TV. But you know what I mean. Wow. Wow. Mm. Wow, another, another amazing hour of just scintillating conversation about our favorite subjects pascal an absolute pleasure once again to share this hour with you everybody who's been watching everybody who's been listening thank you so much for tuning into two geeks in a marketing podcast please subscribe to the youtube channel please leave comments on the youtube channel or on twitter wherever you consume your content just let us know what you think of the show give us feedback give us tips give us ideas Until next time, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. I was Roger Edwards and he was Pascal Fintoni.